0: Kind of like Greg on Wednesday Wednesday night, I got so engrossed in Bible class and um, some of the comments we made there and then Jimmy's lesson, which I thought was fantastic, that uh, I just wanted to continue to talk about it, but it may be ever so brief, I'm not sure. Um, I don't suppose there's going to be any scriptures on the slide, which will be new to any of you. I don't think there would be any scriptures on the slide that we probably haven't studied or used in the last month. But I just thought it tied really, really well together. It was good for me to tie all this together, and I hope I can convey it well. That's always my struggle, um, that I can convey well how it ties together well for me, and that it'll be of value to you as well. But nonetheless, it's out of God's Word, and it may stimulate you to a different Um, thought and bring you to some different study, uh, your own personal study. But during Bible class, um, we made a statement that intrigued me and is true and valid, and I was jotting down notes and making some things that I wanted to study and maybe to, to pull out at another time for each and every one of us, and that statement was that Israel was intended, God's people were intended to act and to worship differently. They were to stand out among other nations. And what made them different was God's word. What made them peculiar or um, distinct, however you want to phrase that, was that they were to follow God's commands. And those would be different than the nation of Egypt, which they came out of, and the nations round about them. And um, to set our minds on this, go ahead and go back to I me. Mean, I'm not going to get into it too much because I don't want to steal any, anything from Greg that he's going to be covering. But go back to Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18 and starting at verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whether I will bring you shall ye not do, neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments. With which if a man do, he shall live in them, I am the Lord. And then just go over to chapter 19, and just the first couple of verses. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And he continues to give them instruction and guidance and the principles, the ordinances which they were to follow and adhere to. And these were the things that were to make them different and distinct and make them stand out from these other nations. The implication there and in our studies that we've done for the last several weeks, at least from my sermons, is that they would stand out, God's people would stand out if They followed the commands of God, and they would prosper, and they would live long, and they would be his chosen people. We also made the statement this morning that the other nations, specifically here, Egypt and the the, uh, land of Canaan, would never be acceptable unto God. And that is true in their current condition. They would never be acceptable to God because they lived outside of God's nature, God's commandments. Now, they they weren't subject to the same laws and ordinances that God's chosen people were, but they were subject to the laws of nature, and they did have um, that law that that God had imparted unto them, their knowledge that there was a God, and they should know that. And remember, this is post-flood, and so these are descendants of, and we talked about in class, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And these are the descendants of Ham and of Canaan. And so they should have known, but they walked away from God. And so those in the land of Canaan um, were not living after God's principles. They were sacrificing to idols. They were into abominable things. They did Um, eat and partake of the blood and many other things that they should not have done and they should have known even though they weren't in particular um, subject to these particular ordinances that we were reading and studying this morning it's also worthy of note I know I said it a moment ago, I'm going to repeat it because I'll probably repeat it at least once or twice more God's people, in this case Israel would be distinct and separate as long as they followed after the commandments of God once they stepped outside of God's way of living, they would not have been acceptable unto him. We see this over and over with Israel, right? It's some of the learning um, of those particular studies for us is that they went through this roller coaster ride, I guess, if you will, of faithfulness, disobedience, repent and turn to God, disobedience, repent and turn to God and disobedience. And over and over and over again, they tried the patience, and they tested the word of, of God, and um, they were just rebellious. And we should learn from that. And we studied Nadab and Abihu, and that which they did was beyond the commandments of God, and it wasn't acceptable. We studied Uzzah and the moving of the ark. It was outside of God's um, command and, and his ways of movement, and it was unpleasing unto him, and it cost Uzzah his life. We studied talked about Saul before, King Saul. And for a while, King Saul sought to, uh, to live and conduct himself and the nation in a way that was in alignment with God. And then his pride got in his way. And he, much like Israel, went through a little bit of a roller coaster ride until he just finally got to the point that it didn't seem like he wanted to turn back. Um, we see the same example with David. We see his weaknesses play out. His um, his adulterous affair with Bathsheba, his murderous plot to have her husband um, killed and murdered. We see it in the New Testament with Diotrephes, and um, I believe it's Paul. I probably should have made note of that. That said, he would um, he would set or he would speak to Diotrephes, and Diotrephes uh, preferred the preeminence. He. Um, he evidently spoke and preached and treated people in a way that um, gave more glory unto him than unto God and God's ways. And so we see that it was important for Israel, it was important for God's people to be obedient and to be distinct and to be separate. And you probably can add to this list, and I have a few that are duplicated, depending on your translation that you use, and maybe we all use King uh, New King James, but... Um, these would be at least some that we could study and see that God's people were to be different. Peculiar people is that first set of columns and there's a handful of verses there that you can read how that God's people should be peculiar or or different. Um, Holy people or a holy nation is the second column. You see a handful or so that are given there. Some of those overlap. That's why Deuteronomy 14.2 is missing from there, but Depending on your translation, it's either peculiar or holy. Excuse me. And then last, that column is chosen people. I didn't do a good job of separating that. And I'm sure you can add much more to that um, in the New Testament especially. Around God's chosen people and called and heirs. And those that, um, that would be known of him. those that would be written in the book of life. When I put this together, when I was listening to that statement and I began to make notes and I thought, we've studied it before, but it would be good to tie this back together um, with a study on being peculiar people, being called out, being separate, being holy. And then Jimmy followed it up with what I thought was a fantastic sermon around how the church was and should be different because it's patterned after the New Testament church, and that's all we strive to be. And that is what led me here, and a question that, is, um, that I saw posed. I shared one with you Wednesday night. I don't think it was within the answers here. Um, it was within another question and study that I had read, but somebody asked a good and honest question. I think it was honest, and it fit very well with Jimmy's sermon. I thought it tied in well here with the entirety of this study. What makes the Church of Christ different than other religious groups? And that's what Jimmy got at this morning. We strive to be only the church that we see in the New Testament. Nothing more, nothing less. And that's what makes the Church of Christ different. We could list, and Jimmy's right, we probably could spend a half a day in here, and we could go through all the different uh, religious groups and the things that they ascribe to and the things that they do that might be different from us. But if you really boil down the root difference, it is that we strive to pattern ourselves only after the authority of the Bible. We believe and hold to be true that the Bible is the inspired Word of God and that the Bible is the authority in all spiritual matters. That's what makes the Lord's church different. That's what should make it different. That is, that's what should make it peculiar and make it stand out. Is that it's pattern after that and nothing else. And if we're outside of that, then we need to reevaluate. And I think Jimmy said that this morning. Specifically, um, he made a comment when we were talking about fathers and mothers and things that they taught their children and things that they live out. And our children see the best and the worst of us. Right, They're the closest to us, so they see the best and the worst. And when they see the contradiction, when they see the hypocrisy, um, it does make it difficult on them. And we should reevaluate ourselves, and we should hold one another accountable and help one another because we have a common goal of reaching that home in heaven. And so if we are outside of the pattern we see in the New Testament, we should study that out, and we should want to change it. I would pray that that is what our Lord and Savior was praying for and seeking for was unity. Now that can't be unity with variation of thought. Those two things in themselves um, contradict one another. When Christ pleaded for unity, it was under him and under God's word. So it was united in Christ and under that which he delivered unto us. So I only have a few slides, I think there's five total here, and again, no new scriptures that we haven't referenced and looked at here recently. But when you think about biblical authority, and we hold true that the Bible is the inspired word of God, we start at, and we probably aptly should, Second Timothy 3.16, which was read for us. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It is complete. All scripture is given by God and is profitable. That indication there is that a latter revelation is not necessary. Additions to God's word are unnecessary. Unnecessary. But that all scripture that we have and hold was given by God. It was God-breathed, given by God, by inspiration of God. In 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13, we read, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. This is the apostle speaking. Which things also we speak. So those things that they spoke and those things that were recorded and put into written words were not the words in which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. comparing spiritual things with spiritual. We know, we believe, and we hold that to be true. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It was God breathed. It was imparted unto those who recorded it for us. God is not an author of confusion. It is complete. And it is sufficient for us. First Thessalonians 2 and verse 13 states that for this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as, as it is in truth, the word of God. The Bible claims... The scriptures, the, con- the, the text, the, uh, the contents of it are the word of God, and we hold that to be true. Second Peter 1, verse 21 says, The prophecy came not in old times by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It does perplex me that there are religious groups that believe in God and believe in the Bible and use at least some of the scriptures. But they don't believe that the entirety of the Bible is the inspired word of God. I would wrestle to be able to hold that opinion because I would see the hypocrisy of these verses. If all the scripture is not inspired by the word of God, if some of it were just man's thoughts and feelings and interpretations and were included in there for, I don't know, uh, included in there, I guess, to ease the reading or to make it more receptive, to make it um, more appeasable to the audience, I, I would wrestle because the Bible tells us plainly it is the inspired word of God. It didn't come from men. It was that which was recorded that they were moved by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, to record for us. And God is not the author of confusion. And so there's a contradiction there. But yet there's many, many a religious group that would put Christian. In front of their description, or would hold to be a member of the body of Christ, but they don't believe the entirety of the Bible is inspired scripture. We also hold and believe that the Bible is the authority in all spiritual matters. I added verse 17 to, uh, to 2 Timothy here. I'm going to read it in its completeness. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly—that should be truly—I believe—is how King James uh, presents it. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's probably my spelling error. I'm not sure. The Bible is sufficient for Christians to know how to become Christians, how to live righteously how to remain faithful, and how to worship God. And as Jimmy gave us the, this morning, it's sufficient to know the pattern of the New Testament church. More to say on that here in a moment. Matthew 4, four tells us, but he or states for us, but he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. This is our Lord and Master speaking. When he was tempted by Satan, and this was his response unto Satan, man's not to live by the physical um, provisions of this earth alone. He's to live by what proceeds out of the mouth of God, the commandments of God. The Bible is sufficient. It is perfect and it's not to be partially applied or arbitrated. That is what we were drawing out, or a piece of what we were drawing out in those statements this morning. The inhabitants of Canaan would never be acceptable unto God in the condition that they were in. Because God's word could not be arbitrated. That which they knew or should have known should have stuck with them and God's word wouldn't be applied only in pockets and in provisions and God would not overlook that which was an abomination unto him Second Peter 1 verse 20 knowing this verse that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation It is unnecessary for man to interpret the scriptures. Now, understand what I'm saying here. We did have to take scriptures from the original language, and we did appropriate appropriate it into English. And man didn't get that perfect, I am sure, but our God is not the author of confusion. We we aren't lacking some canonical books that need to be added to it. We weren't missing a latter-day revelation that had to come We don't need any council or creed book or book of order or anything else that you want to ascribe to it for us to understand how we make application of this. Why would it make sense in our logical minds as human beings that if this is the inspired word of God, even if you believed it was only partial, and I know this group doesn't, but if this were the inspired word of God to make a conclusion that we, we, we need more to be able to understand it, we need to get together as a southern coalition and I won't ascribe the additional names to it but we have to get together to make a joint decision on what the Bible is saying that's foolishness We need a papal authority to help us understand the Bible or how it has changed. That is foolishness. Whether it hurts feelings or whether it's difficult or whether it's one of those hard things that the world has to rest with and maybe even some of us, I don't know. But God calls homosexuality an abomination. Abomination. Why is it that the Pope is able to make change to that and say, well, in our day and time, it applies a little bit differently? That is foolishness. We don't need a convention. We don't need a thesis book. We don't need a creed book. We don't need the book of order and the book of discipline. We don't need the book of Mormon to help us understand and apply the Bible. It's unnecessary. I'm careful of this statement because I know we are fond of it, and a preacher once challenged me on it, and the older I get, the more I understand the value and the validity of the statement. Commentaries are unnecessary for you to understand the Bible. It doesn't make them wrong, but use them as an aid. Maybe to see what contrary opinion is, that you go back and you reproof it and see if it be so. But I fear more and more all who study the Bible more and more of the mass of the population turns to a commentator for thoughts on scripture and it ought not to be so we go to the word of God we go in prayer we study we compare additional scriptures that support that which we are studying. It's okay to have a good study Bible that gives multiple references. It's good to have a concordance. It's good maybe to um, have a thesaurus. And it's good to have a lexicon. To go back that would show us different verses that we can study, that we can build upon what we are reading and make sure we are understanding it correctly. But we don't need more than that prayer, study, teaching, and proofing that which we believe or understand or is being taught should be the pattern we exercise. We see it in Timothy. His mother and his grandmother taught him. Paul taught him. Paul told him to continue to walk in those things which he knew and that he had been taught from a child upward. We see the example in Apollos, where Priscilla and Aquila pulled him aside to show him the completeness of that which he was teaching, that there was some of it that was lacking and missing. We see it in Cornelius. He was a proselyte, but he needed to know the the entirety of the scripture and have a complete understanding of what he needed to do. We see it with the Ethiopian eunuch, who was a proselyte and who was seeking the truth and trying to understand, and Philip was sent to him to help him know the entirety of which he needed to know. Second Peter 3, 15 and 16, an account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also in other scriptures under their own destruction. We should study to show ourselves. We should continue to study. We should grow and mature. We should take these things that we maybe looking at tonight, and go back on your own and proof those things which were spoken. And if I'm in error, please help me to understand. Or if I am lacking complete wisdom, give me the entirety of it. You will find, if you will not only follow along, but make notes, whether you do it, I I learn by writing, so I write a ton of stuff and half of it ends up in the wastebasket, but I learn by writing, and so when I write scriptures and I write thoughts while others are preaching and teaching, it helps me retain it up here. So whether you make mental note or you make written note, that should be part of our pattern because we've said it over and over in class and in sermons as well. The more we study, The more God's word comes to light, and the more we understand what it means that it is a lamp under my feet and a light unto my path, because now I start to connect the statement that we made in class and how the nations had to be in alignment with God's commandments in order to be pleasing unto him, and how they would be prosperous and how they would have abundant life if they followed after his commandments. And then we moved forward into our sermon this morning and we saw how God's church is distinct and different, and it should be because it only should be patterned after the New Testament church. And we only need the scriptures to understand that. That's what's different about the Lord's church. We don't see anywhere in pattern or example and we may have to study out the uh, the Council of Nicaea because that does come up, I understand, sometimes. But we don't need an assembly to write out a rule book and discipline book and a pattern of, of the church and a pattern of worship. It boggles my mind, it really does. The more I study, the more I grow and mature, I'm not taking away from any of these religious groups that they are not sincere. I do believe that. Uh, Many of them, at least, are very sincere in their beliefs. Those beliefs are grounded in that which they have been taught and that they've heard over and over again and in a partial understanding of Scripture. But a complete and thorough understanding should lead us to the conclusion that this is the inspired Word of God, and it is complete, perfect, and enough for us to know how to live, how to be a Christian, how to remain faithful, and how to worship God. And I don't need anything else to tell me, well, how should we pattern the church? That's where the Roman Catholic Church got off off, off on the other side. That's how many got off on the other side. That's how the The Protestant Reformation created so many errors and sects and different um, divisions because surely man, through some kind of deep study, had to come out with a better idea of how to make application of this, and that is not the case. I loved Jimmy's lesson this morning. It it was good for me. I told him that again tonight. I, not that any of his other lessons aren't good, but that one really resonated well with me. Maybe it's because I was already in some thought and uh, contemplation of as you have seen over the last several weeks being a, being aligned with God's Word and ensuring that we continue to abide in the Word. A true, honest, open study of the Bible should lead to that conclusion and that conclusion alone that this is the inspired word of God and it is complete and perfect for us to be thoroughly furnished under good works. And if that is the case, then there is only one pattern of worship. There is only one pattern that um, one could define the New Testament church. And one only has to take the New Testament church and apply it to any religious group, including this congregation, to see whether or not it is in alignment with God's word. And if something is amiss with God's word, we have to go back and ask ourselves, if God's word was not going to be arbitrated for these other nations, if God's word was not arbitrated, in other words, it uh, it wasn't partially applied, to Nadab and Abihu and Uzzah and David and many more that I'm sure you could come up with that I'm missing at the moment. Why do we believe it will be today? It's not logical. If over and over and over again the Bible has told us we should be separate, we should be holy, we should be distinct, we should be peculiar. And we study to understand what that means, it means we should pattern ourselves after God's commandments. And that's it, and that alone. So we should carefully study ourselves as well as the organization that we align ourselves with. It's my hope, and um, it is my statement to you that. To the best of my knowledge and ability, the congregation here at Silver Hill is patterned after the New Testament church. If that ceases to be reality, I pray each and every one of us would come to that conclusion and come to it quickly and that we would repent and turn as a collective group. Individually, if we were outside of that body or we were different from what we see of the pattern of that body, I would pray each and every one of us would get realigned with the word of God. If we aren't, how do we reconcile in our mind that that time of ignorance he winked at but now commanded all men to repent? Hard to reconcile that, isn't it? That's my hope and prayer for each and every one of us. I hope you know and understand. I preach from this behind this pulpit forward. This was, for me, probably more than it was for you. It connected all very, very well for me. Um, anyway, thank you for allowing me to give voice to God's word. I'm going to wrap it up this way, that if there is one true church, one true and inspired and perfect and complete word of God, and we should live by it, we see only one pattern of worship, we see only one church, and we see only one plan of salvation in a companion, Consist of these acts that you see before you on the screen. That is, first we have to hear the Word of God, whether that is through study, whether that is through um, hearing verbal oration, or preferably both. Our understanding of God's Word is not miraculously imparted. He did not select you as a child. To wisdom, impart wisdom and uh, knowledge unto you. You were preordained in that God selected those who would be obedient unto him to be his children. John 8 32 and Romans 10 17 tell us um, Romans 1017, first of all. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We know and understand. We have to um, we have to hear the Word of God and we have to believe that it is the inspired word of God. That is the second statement that you see on the screen, that is the Lord's uh, plan of salvation, is that we have to believe. What I have referenced here is John twenty thirty one. But these things are written, that ye may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life through his name. It is essential that we believe. The Bible is the inspired word of God, and it tells us that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He was uh, and is the Christ it's because of him that we have reconciliation. We have to be willing to repent. We talked about that a moment ago, but Acts 17 and 30 says, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. You can see I didn't correct my slide. I was telling Sean, I have a couple of buttons on my laptop that don't work, but um, you can overlook the spelling errors there. Matthew 10, 32 tells us we have to be willing to confess that Christ is the Son of God. Ten thirty-two 32 says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before the Father, him will I confess, well, whosoever therefore shall confess me, I can't even read tonight, before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. We have to be baptized for the remission of sins. We talk about Acts 2.38 uh, quite often. Acts 2 is a perfect example, a complete example of what is necessary to, um, to be aligned with God's plan of salvation. But Galatians 3.27 also tells us, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And Revelation 2.10 tells us that we have to continue to live faithful. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. We also added to that, and part of our Wednesday night study was John 8.31, where we see the little nugget, at least my little nugget, where it tells us that if we continue in the word and in the truth, then we are kids. And um, I don't know why I sometimes overlook that. But we have to continue in the word. We have to continue to remain faithful. That's God's invitation. Um, thank you for allowing me this time again to give word, His voice, God's word. pray it has been valuable to each and every one of us. Please reflect upon your individual commitment to Christ and whether or not you are aligned with God's commandments to be a part of the New Testament church. Please study and understand and be sure that the congregation of which you are a part of, the Silver Hill congregation or any other, is in alignment with God's word. If any of that is outside of that which is prescribed by God, please make it right. While we have that opportunity, you have a lot of folks here that love you, that support you, every single one of you are here tonight because you are seeking the truth, and you want, I believe, to have that eternal home in heaven. That is our ultimate goal that each and every one of us share. And um, if you have any need that we can help you with, we need to pray on your behalf, um, or in any other way, let us know, we'd be glad to do it, we want to do it. But if you have need to respond to the Lord's invitation, the please come forward as we stand and as we sit.